All right, crew, how we doing today? That's what I'm talking about. It's a packed house. I always get excited for Easter. We're packing it out. Oh, boy, and then your notes mess up on Easter. That's awesome, right? Hey, so, hey, we're going to get started, but before we get started, I got a couple things that I want to talk about today. Uh, man, it's Easter. We're excited. We're, we're pumped for everyone to be here. Hey, don't worry. We know it's packed. We're already looking at going to two services because I know every single one of you are going to be back next week, yeah. right? So, <laughs> some of you are like, I'm visiting from out of town. I'm just hanging out with family. I'm, I'm sorry. Uh, but today, obviously, it's Easter. We have our family day as well. So don't feel like you have to rush out right after service. We got all types of stuff for the kids going on outside. We've got inflatables. We've got blow-ups. We even got stuff for adults. There's like axe throwing out there. There's uh, family photo booths. There's a dunk tank. I think Brittany is going to get in the dunk tank before she... You're leaving on vacation today, but, but she's getting in the dunk tank. I'm going to get in the dunk tank. Maybe we can talk a few other people into getting in that as well. We also have a petting zoo. All kinds of stuff after service. This is what we say all the time. We don't want you to come to church. Why do we even do stuff like family day? We don't want you to come to church and have the excuse of, well, I didn't meet anybody. Or come to church and say something along the lines of, well, I just don't feel like I belong there. I don't feel like I got plugged in there. Listen, we're putting the ownership back on you today. There's plenty of stuff going on. And so now we're saying, hey, you get to go meet people today. So don't just walk out. The, don't, don't be the person that just walked into church on Sunday because it's Easter and you're going to make a beeline for the door as soon as this thing closes just to say you checked the box and said, at least I made it to church one day this year. Don't, don't be that person. Let, let's build community together. Also, we have May 1st coming up. That's going to be our baptism Sunday. So in two weeks, listen, if you've never been baptized before, go ahead and scan the QR code. We'll, we would love to get your information. We'll, we'll let you know what's going on May 1st. We're going to make it a party, but we're going to be doing baptisms on May 1st. There's one other announcement I have to make before we, we kick off the, the message today. Could I get Aubrey and Eric to come up here, wherever you guys are? There they are. Give it up for the, y'all can come up the steps so you don't. Don't fall. I gotta, gotta make an announcement. Eric, you're rocking the stash today too. Like you, you knew what was going on. I like it. So y'all, y'all come stand front and center for me. So you guys have heard me say this for the past uh, few months. We've we've been talking about uh, planting a church in Hickory, and uh, and these two have been coming to the church for a little over six months now. And, and, he, and here's the thing, I'm just going to shoot straight with you. They're selling it all. They live in, around Statesville now, or Salisbury now. Um, they're selling it all and moving to Hickory. And these two guys are going to be planning our Hickory location. So give it up for these two. I, I'm excited. I'm pumped. I, I feel like we text all the time. And, and one thing that you need to know about this couple is this. First and foremost, man, they love Jesus. They love their family and they love this church. And, and even when we started having the conversation of planting a church in, in Hickory, I would always just kind of ask the question, why not? Why not, why not sell it all and move? Why, why not? And, and if we're not careful, God asks us all that question, why not? We say, God, I'll go anywhere. I'll do anything for you. But then when the rubber meets the road, you have to ask yourself, why not? Do you truly trust God? Past, past couple weeks, we've been talking about that question. Do you truly trust God? And I can say that these two fully trust where the Lord is sending them. Uh, so one, if you know anybody in Hickory, we need their information because we want them to come to church. Uh, but two, we want to pray. We want to pray for this couple. So if you feel comfortable, just extend your hand towards these two. God, thank you for the Doan family. God, thank you for, for these two that are standing here just willing to follow the call that you have on their life. 
they're, they're both teachers and they're, they're stepping um, out of teaching into ministry. And God, we just pray that doors would be opened, that relationships would be built, that as they move to Hickory this summer, that, that they would find the right house. Everybody said amen. And that they, that they, would, that they would just begin, begin to build community and that ultimately they would begin to spread your love, your grace, and your forgiveness. That they would spread the gospel message in Hickory. We always say this, God, and, and it's something that you laid on our heart, but the need is the call. And, and wherever there's people that don't know you, that's the need. So, Lord, we say thank you that, that this family has answered the call. And everyone said amen and amen. Give it up for these guys one time. We're proud of you. Now everybody knows officially. All right, love you guys. We'll have a lot more information coming. So one more time, give it up for them. There we go. That second clap is just that awkward moment where they got to walk off the stage. I just, needed, I just needed a couple more seconds. So, so last week we talked about the triumphal entry. And we, we hear in scripture that Jesus tells his disciples to go get this colt. And, and Jesus rides in to Jerusalem. And as he's riding in, people are waving palm fronds and they're laying down these cloaks and it's kind of like a parade. But we also learned last week that, that that's during Passover. And each of these Jewish families would have been bringing their perfect lamb, their unblemished lamb, what scripture calls the Pascal lamb, into the priests for their sacrifices. And so what scripture shows us is that's just Jesus on his parade to his death that he's making his way to the crucifixion, that he's making his way to the cross. And the more I dove into this, man, I, I started thinking about other religions. I started thinking about what other people follow across the world, across the globe. And if you take all the religions and you look at their figurehead, if you look at their person or their deity, if you look at who they follow, they all have something in common. Even Christianity, they all have something in common. Their leader died. All of them, they, they all died. But to fully understand what it means to follow Jesus, we have to read the rest of the story. And today we're going to start off in John chapter 20. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn there. If you have the app on your phone, pull it up. If not, that's fine. We'll pull it, put it on the screens for you. But let me read John chapter 20, starting in verse 1. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one that Jesus loved, and said, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they put him. Verse 3, so Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running. But the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked at the strips of linen lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb and he saw the strips of linen lying there as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. And the cloth was still lying in its place separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went inside. He saw and believed. What I love about scripture is all the backhanded humor that you see. So, so let me break down what I just read for you. First off, we see Mary Magdalene. She was the crazy person that wakes up before the sun comes up. You're the person that, that she's the person that set her alarm for 4 a.m. so she could go work out at 5, right? Like, like, who does that? You're weird if you want to work out that early in the morning. I know half of you are like, like Luke's like, yeah, I do it like half, half the week. 
But, but I, love, I love the backhanded humor. You've got Mary Magdalene. Clearly, like I said, she's the morning person. And she finds out that the tomb is empty. And then she takes off and runs to the first two people that she sees. And Scripture says it's Peter and the one Jesus loved. So that would mean it has to be John. Remember, I'm reading John chapter 20. So John is writing about himself. I'm the one that Jesus loves. <laughs> right? Like he's writing this about himself. But then, but then he does this in verse 4. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. So for eternity, John wants everybody to know, hey, I'm faster than Peter. <laughs> like that's what, like find the humor in Scripture. Like I hope that as you read Scripture, you find the humor in it. So John outruns Peter. And I, lo- I love how he just kind of sneaks it in there. It's like that backhanded, that backhanded compliment. So we know that John was faster than Peter, but, but then what happens? He gets to the door and he peeks in. He just kind of looks. He's like, hey, I'm faster than Peter, but Peter went in first. So if anything's broken, if anything's messed up, if anything's missing, like I know we said Jesus wasn't there. It wasn't me. Like I didn't move him. Peter went in first. So Peter goes in and then scripture says that John went in after There's nothing to be found there. Again, if you look at every other religion, if you look at their deity, if you look at their leader, if you look at who they followed, all of them died. The difference in following Jesus is that we follow a resurrected Savior. We follow a risen Savior. If I had to title our message something today, I would title it Fresh Starts and Second Chances. Fresh Starts and And second chances, let me read a quick story to you. On New Year's Day in 1929, Georgia Tech played the University of California in the Rose Bowl. And in that game, there was a a guy named Roy Regals. And his nickname was Wrong Way Roy after this game. Why? Because in the first half, he recovered recovered the ball. It was a fumble, and he recovered it. And he ran 65 yards in the wrong direction. But one of his teammates, Benny Loom, chased him down and tackled him right before he stepped into the opposing team's goal line. The team elected to punt. The punt was blocked. It resulted in a safety. And that was the difference in the entire game, those two points in the first half. And I want to preach this word to somebody today who needs a second chance and a fresh start. See, some of you in the room, you're haunted by mistakes of your past. Some of you in the room, you just can't shake where you've come from. You've tried to outrun your past and you can't. You say things to yourself like, I should have known better, but I decided to, and you fill in your own blank. You you say something along the lines of, I should be further along in my life, and you carry around guilt and shame every single day, and you feel like you can't shake it. I want to take a look at science for a second. What does science say about guilt and shame? Science says says that guilt and shame are among the most painful human emotions. Scientists say that guilt and shame can lead to depression, anxiety, and paranoia, but they can also nudge us to behave better. When we act in a way that we're not proud of, the brain broadcasts a signal that prompts us to alter our conduct. We've all been there. It's like you, you know that you're not supposed to do what you're about to do and you get that gut check and then inevitably you do it anyway. That's your brain telling you that you probably shouldn't do that. 
But for some reason, we do it. Science also says that guilt and shame share some neural networks in the frontal and temporal areas of the brain, but their patterns are distinctly different. Guilt arises when your behavior conflicts with your conscience, while shame is triggered when we think we've damaged our reputation. I believe that regardless of where you are with your walk with Jesus, maybe you have a relationship with him, maybe you don't, maybe you're trying out church for the first time, maybe you've been to church for the last 50 years. I'm a firm believer that at some point in our life, we all need fresh starts and second chances. I want to take a look at the first three people, people that encounter the resurrection because I fully believe that they needed the same thing. By the way, I think every one of us will identify with at least one of these people that we see in Scripture, if not multiple. The first one is who? It's Mary Magdalene, right? So Mary Magdalene comes up, and, and what do we know about Mary? We know that Mary Magdalene, that the devil has a grip or had a grip on her. I fully believe that, that there's some people in the room that you just feel like the devil has a grip on you. How do we know that about Mary Magdalene? Let's take a look, look at Luke chapter 8, verse 2. Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out. The devil had completely gripped her life. The enemy had, had gripped her mentally and physically and emotionally and spiritually. This woman, for all accounts, was gripped by the world itself. Yet scripture says that she's the one who sees the empty tomb first. I, I mean, imagine that for a second. Someone who was fully engulfed by the world, and she's the one who sees the resurrected tomb first. This would have failed in comparison to any other thing that happened in Scripture. It would have failed in comparison to seeing the Red Sea part. It would have failed in comparison to seeing the walls of Jericho fall down. It would have failed in comparison to see fire come down from heaven and land on an altar. It would have failed in comparison to see this guy named David with a sling and a stone knock down a nine-foot giant. It would have failed in comparison to any other moment. All of those moments would have failed in comparison, yet she was the first person to see the empty tomb. And the fact that it was Mary blows my mind the one who was totally gripped by fear and depression and anxiety the one who was totally gripped mentally and physically and spiritually and emotionally yet she was the one who saw the empty tomb first at one point she was gripped by her past at another point she was gripped by her present yet she sees the empty tomb first Maybe you're in this room and you feel like the devil or the world has a grip on you. See, you would, never, you would never say it out loud. Because if you said it out loud, people would think that you're slightly crazy. But you can almost, you can almost feel the grip that depression has on your life. You can almost feel the grip that anxiety has on your life. You can almost feel the grip that your past mistakes and your fears and your failure have a grip on your life. Maybe you're gripped by an unhealthy addiction to alcohol. Maybe you're gripped by pain meds or prescriptions. Maybe you're gripped by pornography or overeating or bulimia or any other eating disorder. Maybe you're gripped by compulsive shopping. 
Maybe you're gripped by habitual lying. What I know is this, is that sin is a big deal. It's not something that we can just gloss over. It's not something that we can just put to the side. It's not something that we just act like there are a few bad choices or wrong decisions in our life. Romans chapter 3 verse 23 starts off by saying, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Romans chapter 6 verse 23 says, The wages of sin is death. But this is what I know. If you just read the first part of those verses, it feels like life is hopeless. If you just read the first part, it feels like all these things in your life will always grip you and keep you away from Jesus. This is where many of us unintentionally live. But notice the punctuation mark in the scripture. We live as if there's a period or exclamation point at the end of those statements. We live as if the enemy has a grip on us. We live as if we have no hope. We live as if we're too far gone from Jesus and that he could never reach us. But somebody in the room needs to keep reading because those statements are true, but they're not final and they're not fatal. So keep reading Romans chapter 3, verse 23. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, comma, verse 24. And all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. Romans chapter 6, verse 23, the wages of sin is death. Absolutely. The wages of sin is so heavy that it separates us from God for eternity. But the gift of God is eternal life. You have to keep reading. Because of the death and resurrection of Jesus, we can all have fresh starts and second chances. You no longer have to be gripped by the world. You no longer have to be gripped by what society tries to label you. For some of us in the room, or maybe you're listening online, then you're like Mary Magdalene. You feel gripped. But for other people in the room, you feel like Peter. And why do you feel like Peter? How do we identify with Peter? That's that failure after following Jesus. Let me tell you what I'm talking about in Luke chapter 22, starting in verse 54. Then they seized him, being Jesus, and led him away, bringing him into the high priest's house. And Peter was following at a distance. And when they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat among them. Then a servant girl, seeing him as he sat in the light and looking closely at him, said, This man was also with him. But he denied it, saying, Woman, I don't even know him. And a little later, someone else saw him and said, you are one of them. But Peter responded, I am not. And after an interval of about an hour, still another insisted, certainly this man also was with him, for he too is a Galilean. But Peter said, I do not know what you're talking about. And immediately, while he was still speaking, a rooster crowed. Verse 61, and the Lord turned and looked at Peter. Man, verse 61 hit me hard this week because I, I, never, I never saw it in Scripture before. Peter was so close to Jesus in that moment that he looked at him and he could see him eye to eye. Peter was so close in that moment to Jesus, yet he was so far away. Peter was so close to Jesus in that moment that Jesus heard Peter denying him three times. And Jesus glanced at Peter and Peter remembered the saying of the Lord. How he had said it to him before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. Peter denying Jesus. Again, it blows my mind that Peter was that close in proximity that 
that he could see Jesus eye to eye. And earlier at the Last Supper, Peter says to Jesus these words, Jesus, even if everyone else leaves you, I won't. We've been there. We've been so confident in our faith before. Jesus, whatever happens to me in my life, I will never leave you. But for some reason, we find ourselves wavering back and forth. And a little girl responds to Peter, hey, aren't you one of his disciples? A servant girl. Peter says, I don't know what you're talking about. And he curses Jesus and he denies Jesus. And then the rooster crows. Jesus glances over at Peter. And Peter went and wept bitterly. And Peter followed Jesus for three years. He was one of his boys. One of the closest disciples to Jesus. He ate with Jesus. He laughed with Jesus. He had been taught by Jesus. Jesus showed him the mysteries of the universe, the mysteries of the kingdom of God. Peter's own, Peter's own mother-in-law had been healed. Peter saw blind eyes open. He saw the lame walk. P- Peter even picked up the leftovers after the 5,000 were fed and all the fish and the loaves of bread were left over. Peter picked them up. He saw the miracles himself. But when Jesus needed Peter the most, what did Peter do? He denied Jesus, and so have I, and so have you. It's one thing to fail before Christ. It's one thing to fail B.C. It's one thing to fail before you step into a relationship with Jesus. It's a whole different ballgame to fail after you step, step into a relationship with Jesus. Note, notice I said when, not if, because we're all going to do it. In a moment of weakness, maybe you went back to an old habit. In a moment of weakness, maybe you let your relationship go a little too far. Maybe you had an opportunity to share your faith, to stand up for Jesus, and you kept silent. The last look that Peter saw from Jesus was a gaze into his eyes of a horrible failure. Denying Jesus. Can you imagine all that was going through Peter's head for the next three days? I imagine, I know that the devil has it for me. It's that special voice that's inside of your head and it sounds something like this. I guess I'm not good enough to follow Jesus. It sounds something like I should have known better. It sounds something like I guess I'll just have to go back to my old lifestyle. It sounds something like I should be further along in my life. Maybe for you it sounds something like I should be a better husband or a father. I should be a better wife or a mother by now. I should be a better son or a daughter. I should be a better brother or a sister. Man, for my oldest daughter, Piper, it's like when I tell her not to do something and she does it anyway. And she makes the mistake. And then she runs up remorseful and she's like, Daddy, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I won't won't do it again. And I imagine that's what was playing over and over and over in Peter's head. That he he ran to the tomb. Why? Because he wanted the resurrection to be real. He needed the resurrection to be real. He longed for a second chance. I imagine he was replaying this stuff in his head. Like, if I could just go back. If I could could just go back, I wouldn't wouldn't have denied Jesus. If If I could just go back to high school. I wouldn't have made some of those knucklehead decisions. If I could just go back to college, 
Man, if I could just go back to the beginning of my relationship, if I, if I, could, go back to, if I could just go back to the beginning of, of my marriage, if, if my kids could just go back and be young again, maybe I could raise them. If I could if, God, if I could just go back and we long for this second chance and we long, we long for God just to somehow magically wave a wand so that we can just go back. It's what we do in our lives. When we mess up or when we fall short, God, would you just give me a second chance? But because of the death and resurrection of Jesus, you can have a fresh start and a second chance. And last, we have, we have John. And John's a tricky one for me. Because sometimes you need to be reminded that Jesus loves you even when you don't love yourself. So when you, when you, read, when you read John and you, you look at his writings, it's always the disciple that Jesus loved. And when I first read this, I mean, it's mentioned about five times in his gospel. And when I first read this, I'm like, John, are you being arrogant? Like, we get it. All right, Jesus loves you. Like, why you got to let everybody know five times? Like, why can't you just refer to yourself as John? Why do you have to be the disciple that that Jesus loved? And it seems kind of boastful, but I wonder if it wasn't pride. I, I wonder if it was just a reminder. I wonder... I wonder if it was a reminder that I'm only here because of the grace of God. I don't deserve it. I don't deserve to be where I am. I don't deserve to to live the life that I do, but but I have it and I am because Jesus loves me. Can Can I speculate? Can I speculate for a minute? I wonder if John dealt with perfectionism. Because there's many of us in the room that we deal with perfectionism. Can I speak to the Enneagram ones in the room? All that y'all laugh, you're like, that's me. But, but you're the person that you're your own worst critic. You're the person that has the voice in your head that you can never turn off. You're the person that in high school you made an A minus and you're 50 and it still haunts you that you didn't make an A. Like you're, you're the person that you had your life all planned out to a T, but you're not where you thought you would be. In your head, you planned the perfect family. In your head, you planned the perfect spouse, the perfect home, the perfect kid, the perfect dog. You even had the perfect white picket fence. Like in your head, everything was perfect. But you live in a constant state of there has to be something more, or you live in this constant state of you could have always done something better to be further along than you are. But because of the death and resurrection of Jesus, you can have a fresh start and a second chance. But it begs the question. It begs the question. Why do, why do we need a second chance? Why, why do we need a second chance? Scripture says that the wages of sin is death. Church, sin is a big deal. One of the problems with the modern day uh, gospel presentation is that it seems to present a solution where many don't even see a problem. Pastor, what are you talking about? So we want to talk about the love and the grace and the forgiveness and the peace of Jesus without showing people sin. So so what am I talking about? The, The fact is that we are wretched, fallen, sinful creatures destined for an eternity of separation from God. And if we don't see our fallenness, if we don't see our sin, if we don't see our shortcoming, then we won't see our need for redemption. Or worse yet, we fall into modern day syncretism where we just add Jesus to our shelf of gods. We add Jesus to our consumerism. 
We add Jesus to our selfishness. We add Jesus to our drunkenness. We add Jesus to our sexual immorality. We just add Jesus. But let me talk real life for a second. What does that practically look like? It practically looks like you think you can sleep around with whoever you want to, whenever you want to, as long as you just add Jesus. You, you, you think you think that you can cheat on your taxes just a little bit as long as you add Jesus to your life. You, you think that you can get drunk whenever you want to. Now, I'm not talking about a couple glasses of bourbon or a glass of wine. I'm talking about full-on drunkenness. Like you've got the flask hidden at your office so that you can sip it during the day because you're that addicted to alcohol. But you think as long as you, as long as you have those addictions and you just add Jesus, then you're fine. But what happens, what happens is it's just a lowercase Jesus. Jesus, the eternal one, becomes a little J God, and we think we can just add him in our life for good vibes and good luck, along with everything else that we're serving. But Scripture says that he is a jealous God, and he refuses to be added to our spiritual shelves. We can't just simply add Jesus. We have to choose Jesus fully. We repent of our sin and we surrender to Jesus. What I know is this, is the gospel is absolutely free, but the gospel will cost us everything. The Bible and the message of Jesus is so beautiful and complete. It tells us that in Lamentations chapter 3, verse 23, that his mercies are new every morning. But we try to live our life sort of like Ferris Bueller. Y'all remember when Ferris, he got the Porsche and he ran up all the miles on it. How did he try to get rid of the miles? He put that sucker in reverse. <laughs> and he tried to get all the miles that come off of the car. And, and that's what we do in our life. We, we feel like we're further along and then we start replaying those bad decisions. We start going back to our past. We put our life in reverse. If I could have just done this instead of that, instead of fully choosing Jesus and moving forward. I told you about Roy Regals. That strange play came to an end in the first half. And everyone who was watching kept asking the same question. I wonder what Coach Price is going to do with, with Roy in the second half. The story goes on, the men filed off the field, they made their way into the locker room, and if you've, if you've followed sports at all, any type of, of sports where they, they go into a locker room kind of at halftime, the coaches always have like this speech that gets them riled up for the, the second half. But the coach didn't say anything. One of the refs came in and said, Coach, hey, you got three minutes, we got to be back on the field. The coach looked around, he said, all right, men, everyone who started the game, in the first half, you're going to start the game in the second half. And everybody made their way onto the field. But old Roy was over in the corner, still had his towel draped over his head. Coach walked over to him and said, Roy, did you hear me? Those who started in the first half are starting in the second half. The story goes on that Roy looked up, tears were in his eyes. Coach, I've let you down. I've let the team down, I've let the university down, I've let myself down. I can't go out and face the stands. I can't go out and face what I've done. I, I potentially cost us the game. And Coach Price reached out his hand and he put it on Roy's shoulder. And he said, Roy, get up and go back out there. 
the game is only half over. And some of you are looking for a fresh start and a second chance. And can I tell you, as long as there's breath in your lungs, the game is only half over. Roy, later in an interview, later in life, he said, I gained true understanding of my life from the Rose Bowl mistake. And I learned you can bounce back from any misfortune. Listen, I don't care what you've done in your life. I don't care how far gone you, you feel. You're not so far gone that Jesus can't reach you. Is your sin real? Is your brokenness real? Is your failure real? Is your fear real? Absolutely it is. But the grace of God is all the more real. If you feel, listen, if you feel like you've gotten all figured out, if you feel like you're good, if you feel like you don't need Jesus, if you, if you feel like you're good on your own, then, then you can just stay in your seat. But, man, Psalm chapter 103 verse 12 wrecks me. It says this, as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Every word in scripture is intentional. Nothing is written by mistake. Everything is intentional as far as the east is from the west. But why would God, why would God choose these words? east from the west. Why? Why? What do we know about the globe? What do we know about the earth? We know that the earth from the north pole to the south pole is 12,436 miles. God, why didn't why didn't you say from the north to the south? Why'd you say from the east to the west? North to the south, 12,436 miles. What I know is this, if you're traveling on the globe, and you're going north, inevitably you'll reach a point where you start going south. If you're going towards the south pole, inevitably you'll reach a point where you start going north. It's measurable. God says my grace isn't measurable. Your sins are. Your sins are measurable. I can can count where you've failed in your life. I know where you've made the mistakes. I know where you've fallen short. That's the north to the south part. But this is what blows my mind. As far as the east is from the west, so has your transgressions been removed from you. What I know about the globe is, unless you're Kyrie Irving, you think it's flat. Never mind, that's a bad joke. But what I know about the globe is, if you're going west, inevitably you'll always go west. West never turns into east. If you're going east, then east never turns into the west. Your sins have been removed as far as the east is from the west. And you can't even count. You can't even measure the grace of God. God says, I can measure your sin. God says, I can measure your shortcoming. God says that one day you're going to stand before me. And one day your sins are going to be counted. Maybe. Maybe, maybe you don't need this. Maybe it's not for you. Maybe you've got life figured out. Maybe you're good on your own. But church, sin is real. Whether you believe it or not, sin is real. Separation from God is real. But His grace is real. His forgiveness is real. His forgiveness and His grace is immeasurable. And you can't outrun it. So maybe you're like me. Uh, Listen, I got the title of pastor. I don't mean nothing. I need fresh starts and second chances every day. So for the next couple of minutes, this is what we're going to do. 
If you're saying, God, I need a fresh start. God, I need a second chance. We're going to step back into worship. And if you feel like that's you, regardless of where you are in your life, all we're going to ask you to do is stand all across this room and worship who Jesus is. Hey, thanks for joining us today at Multiply Church. We can't wait to see you again next week, either in person or online, as we continue to love Jesus and change the world.